Welcome to Uncontained, episode 65. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I have comedian, musical comedian, and musician, all one person, Phil Johnson. Yes, I actually met Phil Johnson probably about six years ago. It was very brief. I was doing stand-up at the Yacht Club in Iowa City, Iowa, and for those of you who don't know, Iowa City doesn't have yachts. The Yacht Club was a small, dark venue that actually used to be a mortuary and home to the Catacombs of Comedy, one of my favorite open mics that I frequented when I was in Iowa. The Yacht Club is a small, dark venue, just to set the scene. He's touring through uh, the Midwest, decides to stop in on an off day, do a set, talk to him, be like, hey man, I'm thinking about moving out to uh, the Bay Area, where he happens to be from, and talk for a little bit. Then six years later, I put a post on Facebook, hey, I'm looking for guests for Uncontained. You want to come on my show and talk about what you got going on? And out of the blue, Phil Johnson responds, and I'm like, holy shit, I know this guy, and that leads us up to the conversation that we're about to have right here on Uncontained. A lot of stuff to talk about. I, I didn't know that he was a podcast host himself as well, and his podcast, not about comedy, not about music, but about pirates, fucking pirates, yes, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a as he calls it, a behind the eye patch look into the pirate community. So that's all coming up right here. If you want to support the show, you know the drill, the Amazon banner at the top of my website, uncontainedpod.com. And you can also just spread the word if you don't have any Amazon shopping to do. Just tell your friends about it. Let them know, hey, I heard this podcast. And if you like it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, or whatever uh, you're listening to this podcast on right now. All of that helps people find the show a little bit easier, and my guests get the word out a little bit better. So I won't keep you waiting any longer for this week's guest on Uncontained. It is comedian Phil Johnson. Phil, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. Welcome to Uncontained. Glad uh, glad we were able to meet up. Yeah. Actually, meeting up in person. This in is, person. Eye to is, eye. Eye to eye, man. This is my second in-person interview. So, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get more people that I can actually talk to in person now that I'm set up for it. Sure, so, yeah. yeah. I always feel that extra connection, which is nice and fun. So, you, stand-up comedian. Yep. You uh, have a lot of um, music involved in your comedy. Yep. And um, I, we actually met each other about five, six years ago uh-huh. in all places, Iowa City, Iowa. I'm from <laughs> Iowa. It was an open mic there. You came through on a tour and like stopped off, hit an open mic on yep. your off night. Right. And then about a month or two ago, I get an email from you responding to a post I put on Facebook being like, hey, dude, yeah, I'd like to be on your show. I was like, holy crap, I remember you. (laughs) (laughs) So about six years later, we finally meet up. Yeah. Uh, What have you been up to, man? Oh, Uh, uh, nothing. 
Uh, <laughs> Nothing at all in the Nothing Sixers. This Watching is TV. Be a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Watching TV and uh, no, uh, yeah. So I've just been doing stand up uh, and writing music and doing a podcast and all that stuff that uh, we performers are required to do these days. I think it's a law. Every comic has to have a podcast now. Yes, and every comic has to. Everybody who wants to do comedy or the entertainment industry needs a podcast yes. to get started. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I'm always busy. There's always a new project on the horizon. There's always something. I'm trying to finish and not having finished it yet. Uh, and uh, I, uh, my friend uh, Dave, the other day, he said, "Who's?" And my friend Dave is always busy. He's always doing a theater show of some sort. And uh, we were hanging out, and he goes, "Man, you make me look like a, a chump." Uh, with as busy as you are, I said that's okay because I have friends who make me look like a chump. So <laughs> it's when you find the right people to hang out with uh, who make you look like a chump, it makes you work harder and do more things and create more things. That is true. It's the whole like theory of like the five people you hang out with, yeah, the yeah, average exactly. type thing. Um, but it's when you work with when you're with people who are like doing stuff, you don't want to be left behind, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to be the chump. You like, do oh, man, do what do you got? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. You're doing that. What are you doing? Sit on the couch picking my butt yeah right uh, i've mastered the art of it though <laughs> got this new technique man you should check it out <laughs> so yeah I'm, uh, I'm constantly busy i'm going on the road again next week uh do some midwest dates and uh in between there i'm uh finishing podcast episodes and uh releasing a guitar program on the internet uh for people trying to learn guitar and uh uh, writing my next hour, which is about three quarters of the way done, okay. and uh, and yeah, so there's always always something to keep my days occupied. All right, great, man, great. So you have a you're a comedian and a podcaster. Uh huh. You know, as we discussed, they go hand in hand. Sure. But your your uh, podcast isn't necessarily comedy based. No, it's not at all. Pirates. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you what. So the show is called Under the Crossbones, uh, and when I was I, I was like, okay, I want to do a podcast. Uh, need should do a podcast yeah. as we've discussed and I thought well, I don't want to do a comedy podcast because a lot of them suck uh, and I can't do a Bill Burr thing and be funny for an hour by myself every Monday that's not going to happen so what else can I do and I was like well uh, so what I did is I ended up looking in my t-shirt drawer I have a large collection of t-shirts and I was like okay I got I have t-shirts from comedy festivals I don't want to do that uh, I have uh, lots of Disney t-shirts but mm, that's kind of a crowded space on podcasts yeah. uh, I have a lot of uh, st- I have like Star Wars t-shirts and eh, that's been done too uh, and I have bands and I was like mm, music podcasts are tricky to do because of copyrights and all yeah. that kind of stuff and then I realized I had a ton of pirate t-shirts because uh, I've been a pirate dork since I was a kid uh, uh, you know I would go ride Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland looking for home decorating ideas. Um, <laughs> and we were, we, were, we were like the Halloween house on our block, and I dressed as a pirate every Halloween and all that kind of stuff. All and, right. and eventually I got uh, into the, the history, the actual history, not, not just the pop culture stuff. So I thought, oh, a pirate podcast. And I looked around uh, to see if anybody else was doing one yet, and nobody was. And right about the same time I started, another guy started who does the um, – his. Uh, there's two of them. There's History of Pirates podcast, and then there's the Pirate History podcast. Okay. Uh, and and uh, Matt and uh, and uh, Craig uh, both do those, and they're great. But they're like history, where they're just they're going through the stories of the history of Golden Age piracy and earlier stuff and things like that. So I wanted to do an interview show because I don't listen to history podcasts. I listen to Mark Maron and Adam Carolla, and, you yeah. know, guys like that. So I thought, no, nobody's doing this interview thing, and there's a huge community of pirate fans out there there's festivals all over the world there's a huge pirate music scene uh a lot of this i didn't even know until i really got into it because i was a 
pirate nerd in my bedroom. I didn't go to things. Yeah. Uh, and so when I started investigating, I'm like, oh, there's all these people I can talk to who probably haven't been talked to before. Uh, and, and just to share them with the rest of the community uh, has been great. And they've always been m- even more fascinating than I thought they would be. Uh, okay. You know, and uh, it's we end up usually talking about their discipline, whatever their discipline is, whether that if they're a writer, if they're a painter, if they're a musician, if they uh, if they're a festival organizer, uh, you know, uh, whatever their thing is that they do within the pirate community. I want to talk to them about that discipline and not necessarily just we don't do who's your favorite pirate, you know, <laughs> one eyed Willie, man. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not like that. I mean, we, we talk about pirates just as a, uh, a thematic idea to get into whatever it is that they actually do, you know. OK. Um, and that sustains the interest level for even people who aren't into the pirate thing anyway. They, they'll be like, hey, man, I really like your show even though I, I don't give a shit about pirates at all. <laughs> and you're like, how dare you not give a shit yeah. about pirates? No, it's weird anyway, because these are, we're fans of criminals. It's like saying you're a big fan of serial killers or gangbangers. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's been interesting to find that a lot of the people in that community uh, use it to do charity work, to do, uh, you know, helpful community things and raise money for things and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's been pretty cool. Right on. Have you had anybody come on that was in pirate character, like talked like a pirate the whole time? No, I, it'll it'll slip in and out because they'll ask me, "Do you want the pirate character?" And I go, I call, I say, "We're going behind the eye patches," you know, which, <laughs> and uh, behind the patch yeah. access. So yeah, so I tell them, "No, drop. We don't have to do the accents because that would be that would be tedious to listen to." You know? Yeah, and uh, so I, they'll drop into character if it's pertinent to what we're talking okay. about, you know, um, and uh, especially like I've talked to. Uh, there was a band from Italy uh, that I talked to, and uh, tr- I mean, trying to listen to a pirate accent with an Italian accent stacked on top of it would have been impossible. So that would be interesting. <laughs> um, I would, yeah, I've spoken to lots of people who English is not their primary language. I just yeah. had a, a guy, a French, uh, French Canadian guy on, and and uh, we did it via Skype, and it was uh, it was tricky at times. But we're about to take over your boot. We're about right. to take over your boot, eh? <laughs> Give us your jewels. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible French Canadian accent, but I just had to envision it in my head and let it out and torture you guys with it, I guess. But that's, that's what I do. Uh, but the show's been great, and it's been a way for me to expose my work to uh, another, a new community that yeah. didn't know about the other things that I do. So now, you know, I'm starting to get the, the, uh, the spillover into comedy and music. They're coming over from the pirate community, you know. Okay. And so, like, uh, um, later this year, I'm trying to book a club in Fort Myers, Florida, the same weekend they're having their pirate festival, so that I can merge those two things and cross-promote and do all that kind of stuff, you know. So it's been good for that. I used to play comedy clips and songs on the show, uh, comedy clips from all my comedian friends and songs from all my musician friends, um, and uh, I've... I had to put that part of the show away a little bit because uh, sourcing it every week has been a, a pain in the butt. Uh, getting comics to uh, voluntarily do anything and send you something, even to their benefit, has been difficult. Yeah, uh, bands as well, and uh, there's sponsor issues as well with playing music that's not fully licensed, even if I've got permission from the bands and all. You know, all that kind of yeah. garbage. You know. It's very difficult to play music on a podcast um, and, and do a music show unless you're commenting on it yeah. and doing a, a teardown like uh, like the Great Albums podcast or something like that, you know. Uh, and so I had to kind of put that part away from it as I start to, you know, bring sponsors into the show. So you can play it if you're critiquing it 
Is yeah. that kind of a rule or Yeah, if you're commenting on it, you can you can you can use fair use out of it. Not you can't play the whole thing like if you're going to play 30 seconds of it and then go, "Okay, now we're talking about the show." So like on the uh the Great Albums podcast, they'll te- they'll do a teardown of a full album. Um, but they'll play 30 seconds to a minute out of the song and then talk about it. Okay. You know, but to just do a full music podcast, you have to go pretty much nonprofit. It's okay yeah. if you have permission and you're not making money. Or you have to sign up for like ASCAP or something like that. And yeah, it, but even the licensing is ridiculous. There's no, this is what I can't, I can't figure out why nobody's figured this out yet. There's no good licensing process yeah. for podcasting, uh, which you'd think Harry Fox or somebody would have come up with it by now uh, since you can license, you know, covers for YouTube and, and, and even the streaming sites and things like that. But there's no good system for licensing music for podcasting. It's a, uh, it's an open market that now somebody needs to fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you have done a little research on that. And I want to have like more when I interview bands and stuff sure. like that. I have more of their music on the show. Yep. And I've done that with like local bands, which, you know, right. there's not signed to a label. So there's really mm-hmm. no complications with that. Or yeah. the same with comics, too. Like right. if they submit something for me to play, I'll mm-hmm. play it at the beginning of the show. And but when you get up into like people who have like copywritten material or like labels involved sure. in it, that's where it gets difficult. And it's like, oh, dude, you're making it hard for me to help promote you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's uh, it's such a missed opportunity with because I think part of it could be taken up by uh, public playlists on Spotify and Apple Music and that kind of thing where there's that same curation element. But I think the curation element with commentary that you could get out of podcasts is just completely being missed all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's switch modes from podcasting a yeah. little bit to your stage show. Mm-hmm. Um, my one true love. Your one true love. All right, yeah. so you're, don't you're, tell my girlfriend. Okay, yeah. <laughs> she just don't let her listen to this, so she might find out. Uh, <laughs> she'd be like, "What? What about that podcast you did? Oh, that uncontained one? Well, that never happened." <laughs> <laughs> There's secrets on that show. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so you view yourself as a comedian more than a musician then? Uh, in the last few years, that's finally come around to be the reality. Because I started in music. Okay. Um, I've been playing music since I was eight. Uh, flute. I started on, then piano, and then guitar, and then picked up other things along the way. And I have a degree in jazz. Really? Yeah, that was my that was my concentration in college, was jazz guitar. After uh, quitting a physics degree. Uh, after I failed calculus three again, I decided that maybe physics wasn't the best place for me. And yeah, I never made it to calculus. <laughs> <laughs> so don't feel bad. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy science and things like that, but uh, it was just not the the high end, high high end mathematics and the high high end. Uh, Physics, quantum physics, things like that. I really have a tough time wrapping my brain around, and I keep trying. Um, so, but the thing was, everything I was doing outside of school was music. I was teaching music. I was playing in a band. I was, you know, everything was music. Okay. Except for when I went to school, I was doing physics, which was kind of weird. Uh, so I just decided to uh, throw my life away and go get a degree in music, and uh, <laughs> which uh, is a questionable decision at best. Uh, but it's a thing of what do I really want to be doing? Here's what I really want to be doing, you know. So I went and got yeah. a degree in, in jazz guitar, um, which was only because they didn't offer a degree in rock guitar, really. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, I spent most of college playing the blues and funk and Latin music and things like that, uh, and then uh, so music is the first thing. I've been teaching music for years and years and years, and comedy was a total accident. It was I uh, had uh, split away from 
band members that I'd been playing with for six years or whatever, and I was just oh, there's, there's baby shower. Oh, I don't know if we heard that, <laughs> but anyway, I was uh, I had split up with some of my band members, and I was just dumping songs out of my head onto tape in preparation yeah. for whatever came next. And I was I wrote a couple of funny songs, goofy songs. Uh, one was about a uh, schizophrenic homicidal maniac in love, and uh, one of heartwarming. Oh yeah, uh, one <laughs> one of the personalities loved the girl, and the other wanted to kill her. So there was that dichotomy in the song. Uh, there was a love song called Whale Blubber, uh, and another song called Hillbilly Love. Okay. Uh, and so I had written these three songs that were just going to be B side, extra, you know, goof. I had serious songs too. That was what I was writing was serious songs. And I was at a music convention in Las Vegas that my mentor was putting on. And one night after workshops, we were all sitting around the pool just playing songs for each other. And I played, uh, I think I played Whale Blubber for him. And the next morning, everybody was like, that's what you should be doing. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, I'm a serious musician. Yeah, that's goofball stuff. That's B-side, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and uh, the deal I'd made is one funny song per album. That's what I was going to do. And, uh, and they were like, no, seriously, we can't get that stupid whale blubber song out of our head. That's what you should be doing. So my mentor also started pushing me in that direction. And, uh, and I met another guy there uh, named Chris Valenti who was also headed in that direction. So we started working together and doing shows and things. And, it just, and uh, I got invited to do a comedy music show in San Francisco at a place called the Hyena Theater that doesn't exist anymore. And um, the lady who was emceeing that show, Lynn Ruth Miller, saw me and she was like, oh, I need, uh, I need a guitar player in my act. She was 73 at the time. Uh, I just talked to her recently. She lives in London now. And uh, she was 73 at the time. And she was doing part of her act was she would do a, a strip tease to uh, the Sex Pistols Anarchy in the UK uh, <laughs> and throw lingerie at the audience. Hilarious. And uh, so I started playing guitar with her. So she started taking me around to comedy gigs, and, and the comedy people were like, she would tell them, oh, he's got some stuff. And they were like, oh, you want to do a set? And I was like, uh, okay. And, why not? Yeah, Let's why not? And, I got, and they're like, can you do seven minutes? And I was like, I, I did like four hours with my band. Yeah, I can handle seven minutes. And then I found out how long seven minutes is. Um, <laughs> it's way longer than four hours. And so uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. Eventually, I started doing the stand-up portion of it. Um, I always liked stand-up. I never thought I'd be doing it. Uh, but I was always a fan, and so I, I kind of started bringing it in a little bit, just talking in between songs. And of course, I caught flack from the traditionalist comics who were like, "Good guitar comic, you're not a real comic," you know. Yeah, um, it's it's a definitely a rung about the prop comic, but yes, you know, like yeah. having like tissues that you have a box of tissues with a nose on it or something, you right? Pull out, yeah, but, but uh, you, know. you know, so I was catching that kind of flack, and yeah. uh, I was like, "Well, okay, I, you know, I I want to do stand up too," so I, I started working that into the show, and now my show is about uh, it's about. Uh, I, you know, if I'm doing an hour, it'll be 40 minutes of stand up and 20 minutes of music. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of swung the other direction a little past half and half. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was a total accident. I did not mean to be a comedian. <laughs> I just accidentally stumbled into comedy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So um, you mentioned earlier in the show uh, that you have like a you're teaching guitar and you have mm -hmm. like a new method. Yeah. teaching guitar that you're putting out here shortly? Yeah, because, I mean, uh, teaching music has always been sort of a cash cow in the background for me um, that I've been doing. I've Probably 20 years now I've been doing that. And uh, a few years ago, three or four years ago, I realized that I was there's a better way to teach than I'd been teaching. And so I wrote a guitar method book that I was using with my students. Okay. And, uh, and as I was writing it, I was testing it with my students and, and rewriting and rewriting and, you know, clearing things up as we go. And so then I uh, finally 
have a finished product of sorts, and now it's starting to come out online. It's called Less Is More Guitar, and uh, and that's at lessismoreguitar.com. Okay. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's a program that is uh, opening and closing at various times this year as I refine it. Okay, uh, so opening and closing. You mean it's only going to be available? Uh, it's available times? for a little. Yeah, it's available for limited times, and I bring in a new crop of students and I work with them, refine the program even a little bit more as I get more feedback on it. And then, uh, it's, you know, I'll open it for two weeks at a time, bring people in, close it, and then open it at various times of the year. Okay, so this is, are you working with them directly, or is it just, like, YouTube videos being like, you should do this? It's, uh, uh, it's uh, an ebook to start. There will be videos and things like that as it, as it works into that, but I want to refine the program a little bit more before I uh, spend the time on that kind of stuff. So right now okay. it's, it's an ebook, but it's an extremely... Um, well written, if I do say, uh, ebook okay. that's pretty explanatory and can be done, uh, uh, you know, up by yourself. And uh, so, besides that, I work with my students within a, uh, a private Facebook group, and they can email me, and you know, we trade videos back and forth and that kind of stuff. So that gotcha. there's 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 feedback because that feedback loop is really really important. Yeah, yeah, and. I've, I've played guitar a little bit before. I uh-huh. can't really say that I'm good. Can't call myself a guitarist because I haven't <laughs> stuck with it. But it was like I tried playing again not too long ago, mm-hmm. and it was like my fingers were just on the short bus. <laughs> you know, was like, do you have a chapter in there on how to get fingers off of the short bus? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the way the program is designed, is it really flips a lot of traditional guitar teaching on its head where it's not like an old Mill Bay book where, okay, here's the open E string and we're going to start there and you're going to be reading notation off the bat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I start really with a lot of rhythmic stuff okay, because we spend 85% of our time as guitarists concentrating on rhythm anyway. So I start right in with that. Uh, I teach chords in combinations that you're going to use them a lot. Okay. Um, so rather than learning a bunch of random chords, you're going to learn C, F, and G together because you're going to see those together. And how to transition in between them. Yeah, exactly. And and so it's learning things in a, in a way that's logical to a guitarist, the way that you're going to use them on a daily basis. And that's really how I wrote it is what are the things that I use every single day okay. and how do I get those across in the most clear way possible? And I realized that the stuff I was teaching, I was like, oh, well, they're not going to use that in the first six months of playing. Let's leave that till later, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So it's really done in the way that real pro guitarists use stuff every day. Okay, cool. So it's a more effective way mm-hmm. of learning. Cut out, like, instead of throwing everything at you at once. Right. You know, instead of like taking a big bag of like basketballs or baseballs and chucking at you all at once, <laughs> you toss them to them one at a time or right. a couple at a time so they can, you know, easily like catch them and utilize that. Yeah, yeah. So. And and it's all put together in a in a way that uses accelerated learning techniques and and mastery techniques and you know all that Tim Ferriss kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and and all the people that he talks about in, in that orbit where they're talking about how is you know accelerated skill mastery. I've read up tons of that and I I, I put it all to use in the book. Um, now that's all under the hood. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily something that you would look at if you're just looking at it, but it's all under the hood there. To, the four-hour guitarist. Yeah, so in that, <laughs> in that type of realm. Yeah, exactly, in that type of realm. And, uh, and, and more in-depth than a lot of programs that I've seen. Because the pro- problem with a lot of online guitar lessons is you show up and they go, here's 11,000 lessons, like yeah. literally. And you don't need 11,000 lessons when you're first picking it up. You need like 22 lessons, and that's what's in my book. Okay. You know, here's exactly what you need to do. I'm going to hold your hand the whole way, 
and each thing is going to logically step into the next thing and there's going to be repetition of skills uh, in different uh, with slight changes each time and all that kind of stuff so that you're learning how to think like a guitarist not just play like a guitarist okay so how did you instead of like the whole like 88 lessons or whatever number you said first narrowed it down to the 22 that youth that was what I did is I said okay if I were I wrote down all the different skills that that I you know I just kind of brainstormed here's a list of skills that you would need uh, whether that's uh, you know how to understand Roman numeral Nashville notation um, how do you build a major scale how do you you know different chord progressions here's the like five chord progressions you're gonna see over and over and over again in a thousand different songs um, so it's, it was I was like okay I don't want to teach one song at a time I want to teach a hundred songs at a time um, where the, and have all this knowledge be transferable and that's okay. where the learning how to think it like a guitar player rather than learning how to play like a guitar player so I just brainstormed this list of here's a bunch of skills that need to happen. And then I just started playing with the order of them to see how one could merge into the next. And I could use all that accelerated mastery stuff uh, to um, to train their brain as they're going uh, and uh, and make it one not confusing, but also reinforce the skills all the way through without them necessarily knowing that. Okay. That's happening. Yeah. Really cool. And uh, how can people get enrolled in this again? Less is more guitar. Less is more guitar. Yeah. All and right. you, actually, the way in is I do a 30 day guitar challenge uh, where um, you're going to learn three songs in 30 days uh, from ground zero, like never touched a guitar before. And, uh, and you'll learn three songs in 30 days. And uh, everybody goes through that challenge first to get them in the habit of playing every day. And, okay. then, and then we bring them into the program. Okay, and yeah. if they don't pass that 30-day challenge, they can't get into the program? Essentially, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just a primer. It's not like I'm super hardcore about you have to do it, you know, but it's a primer to get in. It's a good thing to do because you want to get in the habit of playing every day. That's yeah. the most important thing yeah. is just that consistency. And, and that playing every day during that challenge is five minutes, literally. It's okay. here's a task that will take you five minutes to learn. Done. Go on with the rest of your day. You know, later when you're actually in it, you want to have put in a half hour or so like that. But the initial challenge, which is free, totally free. And uh, and that is here's five minutes. You're going to learn one tiny, tiny, tiny little step. And then we put it all together as we go along. OK, so you're not on the like, listen here, maggot, you need to play. No, 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 Get, no, no, uh, no. I want you to see your fingers bleed. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'd like to be sometimes. Yeah, but uh, it's called playing guitar, not working guitar. You know, yeah. Uh, have you, did you ever see the movie Whiplash? Oh, the drum one? The drum one, yeah. yeah the jazz drum yeah, one. Yeah, I saw that. That was actually a really good movie. It's a fantastic but. movie, and the, it's uh, very uh, intense and scary to most people and to music teachers. It's hilarious because uh, my girlfriend, uh, there's the scene where he's where he's slapping the guy. Am I rushing or am I, or am yeah. I, my, uh, oh, how do you put But am I rushing or am I dragging? Am I rushing? And he's slapping the guy in the face, right? Really hard. And my girlfriend showed me that. She, she's like, you got to see this. And she, he's smacking the guy. I'm laughing. I'm laughing so <laughs> hard. And she's like, like, you know that's wrong. I'm like, I know it's wrong, but I'm, it's hilarious. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the beginning of uh, the movie Full Metal Jacket. Right. In a way. With yeah, yeah. Uh, Drill Sergeant and like boot camp. What is your major malfunction, numb nuts? Right, yeah. Even though that happened a little later in the movie. But choke yeah. uh, <laughs> yourself. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's definitely times when I'd like to be like that. but uh, Or just be like one of those old school conservatory professors. Get out of my studio. You're at disgrace. You know. Um, but I can't can't do that it's not nice no no nowadays so i try heard, to be very supportive you'd hurt somebody's feelings 
somebody. You, you yeah. can't. You can't have that now. No, because they wouldn't give me any more money. You got to have the participation ribbon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you tried, Jimmy. You tried to play guitar, but yeah, no, you really didn't try. No, that's no. why you suck. Let's. let's, <laughs> let's uh, I'll introduce you to my new triangle program. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Or you can play the wood block. <laughs> But that's the thing, you know, I mean, people, come, people come to me and they're like, I've, I've never been good at this. I'm like, it doesn't really matter if you're good at it or not. It's just yeah. if you enjoy doing it, uh, even if it's frust- it's frustrating as hell. That's the thing I have to explain to all my students is that practicing isn't fun. Yeah. Practicing is not fun. In fact, uh, the, um, uh, the, the studies that have gone into these mastery things is that even the masters, the people, us, those of us who devote our lives to this stuff, don't find practicing enjoyable because you're always doing something that's frustrating if you're practicing correctly. Trying it's, to push where you're at. Yeah. You're always playing just above your skill level, which is frustrating and boring and tedious. So, you know, I always have to explain that practicing isn't fun. That's why you have to make sure you have play time outside of your practice time. You know. All right, perfect, yeah. perfect. So lessismoreguitar.com. Yep. You can go there. We'll pitch that for you there. Cool. And uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll have to try it to see if I can get my fingers off the short bus there and you moving go. up and down the fretboard. Yeah, uh, it can be done. <laughs> but speaking of finding time to play, time for recreation, you were just over in uh, London, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Were you visiting uh, the lingerie throwing lady? Uh, no, we actually, I, we talk, I talked to her before I went over there, but we didn't have time to hook up, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but no, we were just going on a vacation. Uh, okay. My girlfriend and I have been talking for years about getting it. Because I did, uh, we went to Scotland in 2005 uh, to do uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I was performing, actually, Lynn Ruth Miller took a bunch of us uh, Bay Area comics over to do the Fringe Festival okay. in 05, and that was a blast. And we've been talking about going back to the UK since then, and uh, we were going to do it for our 20th anniversary, uh, and so we made it by our 24th. <laughs> but uh, the prices on travel have come down so much it, uh, that it's been it was much much easier to do. Uh, but we did all the touristy stuff. We went, you know, I did one gig while I was there. Okay. Uh, which I had to I had to go try out some material just to exactly to see how it would go, you know. And uh, it went really well, except I accidentally dropped into a Taco Bell joke on autopilot and remembered that they don't have Taco Bell there. They don't have Taco Bell. In no, London? they have plenty of horrible Mexican food, but they don't have Taco Bell. Um, the food there was great, but don't do the Mexican food because it's they don't have Mexicans. Uh, <laughs> that's really uh, the rest of the food was great you can get great food of any other sort uh, except Mexican food there. I hear they have great Indian food there fantastic Indian food uh, even though the pub food was great um, I, w- I was feeling bad for English tourists that come here to America because over there we, we could walk into a 250 year old pub at midnight and have a fantastic meal and I just picture them coming over here going wow 24 hours this Denny's must be a great place and uh, <laughs> no no we don't have good late night food here oh moons over my hammy man yeah. come on that's that's like classic food right there that's uh, yeah, that's like after the bar closes. Right, uh, yeah. You know, you're like, oh, dude, I'm hungry. I could really go for some uh, food right now. Yeah, What's open? Desperation food. Denny's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll oh, go. Yeah. After the gig, yeah. <laughs> Get a grand slam. But we did all that. We went and visited castles and palaces and uh, the Churchill War Rooms and, you know, just all the museums. And it's amazing because we have old things here, but we don't have anything as old as they've got. 
No, no, we we're still really young as a country. Oh here. yeah, you know, here in California, they were like, "Ooh, that's from 1850," and they're like, Psh, "We have a meat pie from 1850. We're going <laughs> to serve it tonight," you know. And uh, so, I mean, it was just like we saw the Rosetta Stone in the in the British Museum, and uh, we saw the Magna Carta at the British Library, and you go to Windsor Castle, and it's almost a thousand years old, and you're wow. you know staring at walls that have been there for a thousand years, and it was you know it's just mind blowing to experience that much history. Uh, in 10 days. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can, I can imagine. So, oh man, I'm looking forward to going overseas here in a little while uh -huh. too, but, uh, be more Germany, Italy nice. and, uh, Paris. So, yeah, um, that's on the list. We we're going to do that too. So we'll have to see what all trouble we get into over there. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's tons of fun to be had over there. I I'm, I'm itching to go over and, uh, tour more. Uh, over there and, uh, and and do shows and see what happens and because uh, I think it would be a great adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So the show went great over there. Did yeah. you do any terrible British accents or anything like that? Oh, God, that? No. Like, no. No, no, Hello, no. Hello, governor. <laughs> no, they would, have, uh, they would probably have hated me. I mean, they're a little wary of Americans to begin with, especially yeah. London's a very liberal city, you know, and yeah. so uh, when Americans come over, they're like, which kind of American are you? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> good can or bad can? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, no, I think the only like, um, like, like I did a little bit of material about London, which now, now that I'm back here, I'm writing all sorts of material about London because yeah. that's the purpose of a trip for me is get a new five minutes out of it. And uh, so I think the only joke I did about them over there was on the, uh, they have the tube, their subway system, uh, which is really great. But there's a there's a gap between the train and the platform when you get off. Yeah. And so they have this recording that goes, mind the gap. Mind the gap, and I said that is the most polite euphemism for cunnilingus I've ever heard, and <laughs> and so that was that was I think that was the only joke I did about London for the London audience, but uh, I might have said something else I don't remember. Okay, fair um, enough. Yeah. Fair so, enough. but now now I'm writing tons of London material that I'm working into my show because, uh, like I said, that's that's the purpose. When I went to Hawaii, I got an, I got eight minutes of material out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> What could you have pulled from Hawaii to tropical paradise? Uh, yeah, well, uh, only if you're a tropical paradise kind of person, which I am not. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. You uh, prefer the gloom of London? Um, you know, I'm not usually good in big cities. That's the thing. Like, New York is overwhelming after a couple of days. Uh, Chicago is overwhelming after a couple of days. I am very suburban. Like, strip malls and tract housing. That's my comfort zone. Because that's where I grew up. Okay. You know, but I found London to be very, very comfortable. And we were staying in, in uh, just north of Soho in Fitzrovia. Uh, so we were in the, in the midst of everything. But it was very, very comfortable. A very comfortable city. Um, fantastic people. Very, uh, like, even uh, very thoughtful city. Like, uh, when you're crossing the street, the, written on the pavement, it says, look left or look right. So you know which direction the traffic is coming from. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. Like, I mean, here, if we if we said, okay, uh, you guys, we're going to use tax dollars to write left, look left on the pavement, people would be like, are you kidding? We don't need that. But having it already there, I was like, this is amazing. This is great. <laughs> I don't even have to pay attention to which way the traffic's coming. It tells me. Yeah, exactly. It was so, I mean, so the little tiny details like that were great. The signage is wonderful. Easy to find your way around places. Uh, I tried their medical system. Uh, that was great as well because I got pink eye while I was there, which is stupid. pink eye yeah. in London. Yeah. 
And uh, and uh, after dealing, try, I sat on the phone with my U.S. insurance company for 45 minutes trying to find out if I had coverage over there or what I needed to do, and they were useless. They sent me three pages of doctors to visit. I was like, okay, this is dumb. So I went to um, the hospital that was like six blocks from our house, and I just went into the EAR, and I said, here's what's up. And the guy hands me one one-page form to fill out takes a copy of my driver's license. I go into a triage nurse. She goes, yep, pink eye. She sends me to an eye doctor who goes, yep, pink eye. They write me a prescription. That cost me uh, eight pound 40, which is about 10 bucks US. And that was it. I took it and I left. I, 10 bucks got me out of the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> it would have cost me at least 50 here in the US. At least, especially yeah. if you had to go to a hospital, go through the emergency room exactly. or whatever. Oh yeah. That's like a $500 visit. Yeah, and stupid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely stupid. So yeah, the uh, English medical system is fantastic. I'm, I know it has its problems and they're barely keeping it alive monetarily and all that, but uh, w wonderful to use. But for the consumer, it's great. Oh yeah, wow. like if I need a procedure done, it may be cheaper to fly to London. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great, man. So uh, we've talked a little bit about your guitar training mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but do you have any advice for people who are looking to get started out uh, either in comedy or in music? Yeah, it's a, I mean, in comedy, uh, it's a question I get asked a lot. Um, how do I get started? How do I get started? And the, it's usually people are overthinking it at the beginning. And so my advice is come up with five minutes of whatever Go find an open mic and get on stage because the most important part of it at the beginning is just getting comfortable on stage. Yeah. When I started doing comedy, I had already been tromping around stages for 10 years playing music. So I was already comfortable on stage. And even looking back at my first comedy gigs, I go, ooh, what was I thinking? Um, so I'm you know, now to almost 25 years into tromping around stages. I'm far more comfortable on stage. That's my yeah. home away from home. And... So I tell people, just write anything. Don't worry if it's funny. Uh, just have something to come out of your mouth and go find a stage and get on it. Because you just have to get used to being on stage in front of an audience and talking into a microphone and getting comfortable there uh, and learning how to present yourself in a public context. Um, and uh, that's even if you're an introvert, if you're completely shy, uh, all that. I'm terrible in small groups. You know, I <laughs> would just as soon go, like uh, my my dad used to laugh at me because uh, we'd go to sound check with the band and then I'd go in the green room and read a book until showtime. Uh, and I had to learn to get over that and go talk to people yeah. in the audience. And I still do that now, even before my comedy shows, I'll go out and talk to people in the audience sometimes and, um, you know, make friends with them first. But that's really the, the thing is just to start doing something. Okay. Which I think is a, is a, a good piece of advice for whatever it is you're, trying to do don't overthink it just start doing something and then when you've done that something then do the next thing um which sounds absolutely trite and ridiculous um but it's the the getting started is the first hardest part uh, and the second hardest part is the actually finishing something you know okay uh, yeah yeah see they approve they, um they do i got see. an applause break for that one <laughs> <laughs> whether or not the mics picked it up uh, or not but yeah we're in a coffee shop with a baby shower going on next door and we weren't invited but we are applauded that's right <laughs> so that's the number one piece of advice is start something even if it's really really small and that's the same thing that i do whenever i'm starting something new whether it's uh okay i've i've recorded this comedy special and i need to start on a new hour it's i need to write the first joke the first new joke of this new hour and then I need to write the second joke of this new hour or you know if I'm right I need to write the first line of a lyric for a new song or yeah. just whatever that first step is once you're into it 
The middle part gets a little tricky sometimes when you get confused about where you're supposed to go. Uh, and then the finishing of a project is the hardest part because it's super easy to abandon things. Yeah, and also I'd probably have to add it's super easy not to know when to call it good enough. Oh, so, yeah. like Because you could be there constantly just tweaking things. Yep. Like I find that editing things and yep. like for shows or back when I was on stage doing stand-up, I could tweak a joke forever. Right. But eventually you got to know when to be like, okay, it's good for now. Yeah. You know? there's, a, there's, <laughs> a famous, there's a famous unattributed quote to whoever said it uh, that uh, songs are never finished. Finish, they're only abandoned <laughs> and I try to take that uh, that sort of iterative state where especially if, with comedy you can iterate like crazy and I found myself doing that too much just like you said and yeah. so it was okay this is funny and it's getting laughs I need to film the show get it on tape release it and then get on to the next thing you know so that I'm not constantly tweaking it whatever what always uh, bugs me is uh, when I've already filmed the show and then I come up with that tag I needed. <laughs> like six <laughs> that months later. That always happens. Yeah. That always happens. That's inevitable. But then you can go back and redo that joke if you want at uh, some other time down the road sure. with and that new tag. Yeah, and the, the old material gets done in places. You know, the, the material I've been working on lately is um, a lot edgier, which it's a weird word, not one I like to use, but it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more difficult material. Okay. Um, because it's material that the audience has to really pay attention to, get on board with, and listen all the way through. It's not uh, as easy as you know making fun of sparkly vampires uh, or something, <laughs> you know, something like that. It's, and and I have nothing against those easy jokes because I did them. Um, yeah. But the material I'm doing now, it's like the audience has to has to get on board with me and take the journey to find out where I'm going with it in the end. And I'm discussing race issues and I'm discussing, you know, social issues and things like that. Nothing overtly political, but, uh, uh, cause I don't, I don't like splitting a room, Yeah, but you still have to get on board with where I'm going with it. And if they stop listening after the setup, then they're not going to hear the punchline and they're not going to hear where I went with it. You know, yeah, and so I'm doing, I, I feel like the new material I'm doing, and we always feel like the new material is better than the old material, but you have to almost. Though. You have you to. Know? Yeah. You can't be like, oh, man, I'm doing stuff that I think is not as good as what I did before. Or right. else why do it? Yeah. You know? And that's the improvement process. Yeah. You know, um, but I've even had people who hadn't seen me in a while see the new show that I'm working on. They're like, wow, that's yeah, you're you're stepping up the game. And and it's funny because I doesn't I, I, it, I don't have it at the point now where it's getting huge laughs. It's getting laughs and it's a good show and I can still go out in the headline. Um but people will come up to me after and they're like way more intense about how they're like, oh, my God, that was hilarious. You're amazing. You know, it's like, well, you yeah, could've, you could have laughed harder uh, during the show then. Um, <laughs> so but that's when I go back to some old material. If I've got an audience that isn't going to hang in there with me on some of that, then I can go back and do some of the easier stuff that they've never heard. Yeah. You know, and that happens uh, the other night I did like, you know, half half material from my last special and half new material from the new special that I'm working on. And uh, it worked. You know, with uh, the musical comedy aspect, too, you kind of have the best of, like, both worlds in a way. Because, sure. like, going to a quote by Chris Hardwick, it's like, comedy is kind of like a magic trick. Right. Once you see it, once you hear the punchline, the magic's kind of gone. Exactly. But music itself, like, people will go to a show and be like, I want to hear that song. I want to hear Freebird. Yes. So you still have, like, when you write a song, you have a song that you can play over and over again. Right. Uh, to some extent, yeah, um, and still have crowds wanting to hear that, yes, and focus on coming up with new 
uh, like stand-up, talking stand-up opposed to music stand-up. Right, yeah. So you can always fall back on that, which is kind of nice. Yeah, you can definitely do the greatest hits with the music stuff. Plus, it's great online because they can see it online and then they want to hear it at the show, too. Yeah. But they see a joke online, they don't want to hear it at the show. Yeah, I already heard that one, dude. Yeah. Tell me something new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, was, I was featuring for somebody in Seattle one night and there was a couple walking out of the show after during the headliner set. And I said, oh, you guys leaving already? They're like, yeah, you were great, but we already heard most of his jokes online. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to take note of that. So now I almost never post stuff, jokes online until I'm done using them in the show. Okay. But the songs go up right away because people want to hear the song. And then they come to the show and they go, I want to hear that song, you know? Yeah. So there is that, you can repeat the songs, even if they've heard the jokes in the songs, and it still works really well. The other part of it is that uh, I can change up this show three quarters of the way through and have basically a new show. You know, if I've been doing stand up for 20 or 40, 45 minutes and then I pick up the guitar, now it takes everything up to a new energy level and it's like another act just came on. You know? Okay. And yeah. so it allows me to even hold attention a little bit longer uh, without having to. Um, I still got to fight through the check drop and things like that. Yeah. You know, that's always there, but it, uh, it does help to change things up to, to sort of reinvigorate the audience. Uh, towards the end of the show yeah definitely definitely with how add like america is oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm amazed i can get anybody to sit for an hour and, and listen to me talk yeah well hopefully they listen through this whole thing because it's going to be about an hour now they've all tuned uh, up i know they probably yeah. they're like yeah. hey, i'll come back to this for the second half of my commute i gotta put my work day interlude in there uh so i can tolerate that shit <laughs> but, all right great so we what do you do like to promote yourself? Um, I uh, maintain a mailing list. Uh, everything goes back to the, the to the email list. That's that's the they always say the money's in the list, uh, and so everything I do pushes people into the email list. Whether that's at shows or YouTube videos or Twitter or whatever it is, that's where everybody's going because that's where I can most uh, directly communicate with them. Okay. And go, here's a new song, here's the tour dates, here's that kind of stuff, uh, where they're less likely to miss it. Even email, people are going to miss it because stuff drops into a spam folder or they just, you know, it's Monday morning and they just do mass delete on everything in the inbox yeah. or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's, that's the destination for everything. But uh, on Twitter, I connect with people regularly. Uh, and and uh, there it's a matter of pas uh, posting jokes and lately also posting political stuff to find like-minded people, which has actually worked really, really well. Um, a Trump joke uh, is great. The Trump supporters uh, dislike me, and <laughs> that's fine because I don't need them in the audience anyway. Yeah. Um, and the people I do want in the audience are the ones that are thinking like me, right? So, um, which I've never been political in that way before. Uh, but I found that it was enabling me to connect with people a little more easily because they were thinking like I was, you know. So uh, a bunch of stuff with Twitter. And usually when anybody follows me on Twitter, I send them a direct message. Hey, what are you doing? You know, uh, what, what keeps you busy in life? And, uh, and I try to uh, start a conversation with them directly, okay. uh, which uh, a lot of people think it's, you know, an auto message of some sort and they don't get back to me. And I've had people go, this is an auto message, right? And I go, no, it's a guy in his office. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a real person. So I use Twitter a lot. Uh, I use uh, YouTube uh, whenever I get the wherewithal to actually post a video of something new I'm doing. Um, and 
bring everything back there. Uh, the podcast is another way of promoting myself. Okay. Uh, everybody that listens to my podcast also knows I'm a comedian, and uh, and I announce the tour dates, and they'll come out and see me. Do you have the same mailing list for your podcast as your uh, stand-up? Or? No, no. I have separate mailing lists because I don't want to bombard anybody with anything that they don't necessarily want to hear. Yeah. You know, there's people that like the podcast that have no desire to see me do stand-up. There's people that like my music and have no desire to see me do stand-up. And there's people that like my stand-up and have no desire to listen to the other two things. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I keep the, I have a, a, an artist mailing list, which is this, the music and the comedy stuff. And then I have a podcast mailing list, which is that. And they cross-pollinate, and I have people on both lists and whatever. Um, but all the, the basic social media stuff, I keep Facebook pages. Um, but it's really as, uh, talking to people. Okay. Is the big thing. You know, if I can make a personal connection of some sort with somebody, uh, the people that take a picture with me after a show, if I can keep in touch with them a little bit, they're way more likely to come out to another show or buy the new single or whatever it is, you know. So that's everything is geared towards how can I develop a relationship with that person and not just see them once and try to take some money from them, you know. All right. Perfect. I, yeah. Because the people that stick around for 10 years are the ones that are going to you know, be the most supportive of what I'm doing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that kind of brings me to my next question, almost mm -hmm. seamlessly. Um, <laughs> like it was planned. Yes, yes. It's all coming together. But what do you want your audience to remember about you when they see you live? What do you want them to take away? That changes regularly. Um, some nights I go, I just want this audience to have a good time. I don't want to. I don't want to convey a message. It's Friday night, and they're just trying to get drunk after work. Um, and then I know that's my job there. Okay. Um, other nights, I go. I want this. I want. I want this audience to take home some sort of message. Message, and that message is usually uh, a message of uh, some sort of self awareness. You know, be aware of how you're reacting to the world and how that may or may not be the best reaction to the world, you know? Yeah. And uh, so a lot of the, uh, for instance, I've got a, a joke in the no show, new show that makes a joke on the um, Mexican birth rate, which always gets a giant groan. Okay. Right? And I know that groan is coming. Like, and I've, oh. uh, yeah, and I've planned for that groan. And within a minute after that, I also do a joke about the Mormon birth rate, which always gets a laugh. And so I go, oh, okay, so we're, we're okay laughing at the Mormon birth rate joke, but not the Mexican birth rate joke, even though it's the same joke. And um, so that kind of stuff where I want okay. them to be, I want people to be aware of their reactions to things that are happening around them because we get caught in our little bubbles. And, uh, and when we're only talking to people who agree with us and like, you know, like I said, I'm trying to attract people that agree with me just because I want the show to go well. But yeah. um, I, I have no problem having people in the audience that don't agree with me because I, I can piss off everybody uh, with <laughs> liberals, conservatives. It doesn't matter. I'm going to piss somebody off during the show uh, with something because the way I think isn't the way that everybody thinks. And it, it's uh, so I want them to be a little more self-aware coming out of the show, which I think is great because you can do a joke where somebody will hear it and go, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Uh, Maybe I should be a little more open-minded about whatever that is, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and so I'll I'll push some buttons if I've got the right audience and an audience that's on board with me. Um, and uh, but that's it. I want them to be a little more self-aware about how they're reacting to the world. Okay, perfect. So um, I like how you use the same joke, like kind of the Mexican birth rate one with yeah. the Mormon birth rate one. And like, okay, you guys are being very hypocritical right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much and just call them out on it. Yes. Yeah. And I don't even think 
think it's. Not, I don't think they're consciously being hypocritical no, about no. it. I think they're just. That is. We know this is okay to laugh at, and that we're supposed to groan at. And uh, you know, it's uh, to be able to go. Okay, did you see what you just did there? <laughs> you know, and uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's fun to point out because when somebody points that out, I mean, my girlfriend loves to point that stuff out about me. She goes, yeah. you, "You said this, but now you said this," and I have to go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. I did. I did. You know. <laughs> and so I. Uh, and it's never exactly fun when people point that out to me. Yeah. But they do, and it makes you a better person, because again, you're more self-aware, and you go, okay, uh, I should react differently to that, or at least think about the way I'm reacting. You know. And so I like to. Uh, I like to uh, uh, be my girlfriend for the world. I guess. It's, okay. It's be the world's girlfriend. Be the world's girlfriend. That's a strange <laughs> way of put. I've never put it that way before. But I think we got the show's name right. Yeah. There. No. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Johnson, the world's girlfriend. Okay, I promise I won't use that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, um, uh, from the back only. I'm mistaken from a woman for a woman all the time. <laughs> All right. So is there a reaction you like the best? Like we've talked about getting groans. We've uh-huh. talked about getting laughs or some of them just as satisfying as others or is it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I mean, uh, as comedians, we're all super jaded to the whole, the whole process, you know, uh, applause. If I don't have one applause break during a show, at least multiple is great. But if I don't get, you know, if I'm doing eight minutes and I don't get at least one applause break in there, I'm disappointed in myself um, <laughs> because I didn't make a point somewhere that that uh, was uh, cogent enough. Um, so laughs and applause. That's always the, the main thing. But if I know there's a groan coming yeah. because I've specifically designed a joke to get that groan and then build on it from there, then that groan is fantastic to me, too, to have people go, ah, you know, <laughs> and uh that that's great, and I'll tell them. A groan is just as good as a laugh, right there, you guys. So yeah, that's, so that's, that's what I wanted you to do. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So the, I mean, the groan is fine, but to have the only thing I don't like is no reaction at all when when people just sit there and blankly stare at me, and uh, that annoys me. But uh, a reaction of any sort is fine. I don't like to walk people necessarily. It's only happened a few times. Yeah. Um, but uh, but even that's an, a reaction that I can ponder later on, and you know, find out. If that was the kind of reaction I wanted out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's the best way to do it, especially if they're on the hecklish side. Yeah, but. certainly. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the last time I walked people was years ago, um, but I was playing a fairly conservative city. I was playing doing a theater gig, and I did a seven-minute bit about Aristotle's view of the universe uh, related that to the Catholic Church's rejection of the number zero until 17 years ago, and related that to the gay marriage argument. Okay. And this is a seven-minute bit uh, that's pretty esoteric, you know, and blaming Catholicism for lots of weird things. And it was a pretty conservative community, and I was walking people, and my mom was my mom was in the audience, and she's looking at me like, just stop. And I'm like, nope, we're doing the whole thing, you know? <laughs> so sometimes there's a little bit of vindictiveness behind yeah. the comedy, you know? There's a little bit of, no, we're going to go through this, because uh, I yelled at him. I was like, you guys were laughing at anal sex jokes 10 minutes ago from another comic, and I'm going to tell Jesus. Uh, and uh, I said, let's just get through it. And the people that stayed were like, all right, this is this is challenging, but we're going to – it was interesting, you know. Uh, but some people can't listen past the words. They can't listen past the setup to actually yeah. get to the punchline and see what the, the, the point of the joke is. 
Yeah, because a lot of comedy is taking something that's either not a popular topic or yeah. a painful topic and making it kind of pretty and funny. You right, know? exactly. Like kind yeah. of putting a funny twist on it to make it palatable to kind of... Sometimes when it's social, you can correct me wrong if I want this or if you want, but when it's political or whatever, it's to kind of either take away some of the power from that, yes. like whether it's like racism or yep. like the Mexican birth rate versus the Mormon birth rate as right. the subject was before, or to point out how stupid something is. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the where it was coming from was uh, the, the Catholic Church didn't accept the number zero as a real thing until the year 1999, I think it was. Really? Yeah, as an, an official edict. And I was like, okay, if it took them 2,000 years to accept the number zero, how long is it going to take them to accept gay marriage? Right? This is we got a <laughs> long road ahead of us. They, they have trouble yes. with numbers, you know. And, uh, you know, and that to hardcore Christians and Catholics, they, they were just like, ooh, uh, uh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> you know. So I don't mind. I don't mind pushing some buttons, but it, you can't. Like I would never have done that bit in a bar gig. Yeah, you know where people are on their third two dollar PBR and uh, they just want to hear some dick jokes. You know. Yeah. This was a a theater show where people are sober and listening, and uh, and uh, it's uh, you know. So I'll I'll throw bits like that out there. It's not a bit I did more than three times. I think. Okay. Um, but just because a lot of places couldn't couldn't hang in there with it. Um, but I like to try those kinds of things and see how far I can push it. Right. And when you have uh, bar gigs, you kind of try to follow the whole theory, like there's two things you don't talk about in a bar, politics and religion. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't do a lot of overt politics anyway. I've got uh, maybe two Trump jokes in my act, and they're pretty okay. pretty benign. Um, religion, I don't deal with that much unless I've really, you know, got a good idea uh to go around it just because that also irritates people if i'm playing iowa or indiana or someplace like that they're gonna have a difficult time if i start doing religion jokes it really depends on where you're at in iowa exactly like, yeah. yeah there's like way way liberal areas right. and then there's like very conservative areas like some people think of when they think of iowa yeah absolutely you know? and i like i was i was touring out there i was doing um uh, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, I was doing that area like a week after the election. And I was not doing any political jokes. And the audience was looking at me like, please don't do political jokes. We just don't want to hear it right now. Yeah. And uh, But I still come off as overtly West Coast. You know, but I've got long hair. I talk about my Asian girlfriend. They pretty much know where I stand on everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was difficult dealing with that just because that's who I am. That's who, what my show is about. Uh, but they were just like, they were reading politics into it where there wasn't, uh, which yeah. was interesting, you know. Uh, and so those were, those were challenging gigs in a few places just because they were reading way more into the jokes than I was giving them. And usually it's the opposite. Usually they're not reading enough into the jokes that I'm giving them. <laughs> but at that particular time, they were, man, they were just like, okay, you're talking about things we don't want to hear. And I'm like, I'm totally not. I'm really not talking about those things right now. <laughs> that that kind of had to be tougher, especially around that time, even even now yeah. a lot of the time. But yeah. Well, I'm going back over there next week. So uh, it, I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, how it works. 
All right. Well, you'll have to let me know how yes. uh, how it goes. Um, what is a highlight of uh, your career? Like, what would what what's a good story you like to share with people? It's funny because the the stories that most comedians share are lowlights. Uh, usually the worst gigs. That's why I'm challenging the horrendous you. tribes. Yes, you're challenging <laughs> me. Um, so I, one of the best gigs, I, and it wasn't a comedy gig, it was before I was doing comedy, was uh, the first like big show my band did. We opened for Gilby Clark uh, okay. right after he got kicked out of Guns N' Roses, and he was playing a place called The Edge in Palo Alto. And we got booked to be the opening band. And it was the first, like we'd been playing for a while by then, but it was the first like big we're going to play in front of six, 700 people for somebody in front of somebody that people actually know who he is, Yeah, you know? And, uh, it was just amazing to be in that kind of experience where we're going to a real sound check. We'd had sound check, but to go, you know, to be the, the underling band on a gig like that and yeah. to have the crowd really, really react, uh, and to come out and have, see the other guys on the side of the stage from the other bands watching us do our cover of House of the Rising Sun. Oh, they actually and watched you, which is really cool. They did, yeah, because they were, they. I mean, looking back on it, we weren't nearly as good as we were later, but they were, They came out and they are like, oh, wow, that's some really good stuff, you guys. And uh, like Gilby himself was awesome. Uh, we walked backstage after the show and he had a girl on each arm and he goes, he goes, oh, excuse me, ladies, I got to go talk to these guys. And we were like, oh, that's so cool. That you is know? really cool. Yeah, so, I mean, just meeting... Um, nice people like that and I've, it happens in comedy too I mean the guys that I've talked to my heroes in comedy have always been fantastic people uh, which is really nice but that Gilby Clark show that was one that, that really sticks out in my mind because it was the first like big big experience nice. in that kind of thing um, that same club uh, and similar situation also held the worst gig uh, of our careers <laughs> uh, we, we were the middle act for Ronnie James Dio and uh, it was sold out there was about a thousand people in the place and uh, the 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 crowd hated the first band. Okay. They were a metal band, uh, and we were like, "Ooh, we're not a metal band, so we are in deep trouble." Um, we had no business being on the bill to begin with. We yeah. were not a metal band. We were a hard rock kind of funky, Red Hot Chili Peppers ish kind of, you know. Okay. And uh, so they hated the first band, uh, and I was like, "Ooh, we're we're in big trouble." And we went out there, and we're setting up our gear, and the crowd starts cheering. And we're like, oh, all right, well, our reputation has preceded us, apparently, and this is going to be really fun. And, uh, and the, <laughs> the MC announces, uh, here's Roadside Attraction. And my tall, blonde singer walked on stage, and the crowd flipped 180 degrees and started booing us. Apparently, they thought Dio was coming on next. <laughs> and nobody knows what Dio's backing band looks like, so yeah. they hadn't seen my singer yet. They just saw us figure we were Dio's backing band. And so we were, we were booed the entire time. Uh, and about 15 minutes into our set, the booker for the club, he calls up to the stage and he goes, look, you guys don't have to deal with this. You can just do one more and, and get off stage and I'll pay you your full amount. And uh, we, of course, were like, we're being cut off, man. This sucks. He was doing us a favor yeah. uh, in retrospect because uh, he did pay us and we're still friends and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we huddled up on stage and we we're like, what should, what should we close with? And the, uh, my other guys were like, let's do something heavy. And I was like, nah, screw these people. They hate us anyway. Let's just close with the same song we always close with, which was uh, a funk number called uh, Love Makes You Stupid. And uh, so we had a little humor back then even. Yeah. And uh, so we did the song. Crowd goes nuts. They're digging this last song. And we finish the song, and they're cheering, and we go, whatever, good night. And we so 20 minutes into our set, that was supposed to be half an hour, we split. Dio not only didn't go on on time, went on an hour and a half late. So there was 
two hours of nothing that they had to wait oh, through wow. because they were rude enough to boo us off stage. Uh, and uh, I had to explain that gig for months to every club booker in town that we were trying to book. How did you guys get booed? Ah, yeah, okay, here's what happened. The radio station had been announcing the deal was on a 10 and we were on a 10. It was ridiculous. But just, it was surreal yeah. to be booed by a thousand people. And afterward, people were like, oh, you guys got a raw deal at that gig. We're, uh, yeah, were you booing? Well, yeah, I was. Okay, well, shut up then. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was just, it was one of those just absolutely, like I've never since or before lived through anything like a thousand people booing you all at once. That, that would have to be something. That yeah, would it was have to be something. absolutely craziness. So, it was, yeah, great gig and worst gig all at the same venue. All yeah. right, cool. Okay, full circle. <laughs> full circle. And the comic side of you got to tell the low light, the road story. That's right, yep. <laughs> Plenty of those. Oh, boy, we do whole shows of those. All right. <laughs> I, got, I got one more question for you. Sure. But first, I want you to uh, just tell everybody where they can find you, get a hold of you online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, maybe touch up on your guitar uh, course, sure. your podcast, and your show. So. Sure, yeah. So for the comedy music stuff, uh, the best place to go is philjcomedy.com. And what that is right there is I give away a uh, huge digital, digital box set of all my best stuff um, for free uh, philjcomedy.com the podcast is at underthecrossbones.com uh, the guitar program is at lessismoreguitar.com uh, lessismoreguitar.com uh, and uh, I think that's I think that's all the stuff and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and just put Google Phil Johnson comedy and I come up not just Phil Johnson that guy's an evangelical philosopher uh, okay yeah Phil Johnson comedy <laughs> I will come up Right on top there. That's All the right. Best place. So if you start seeing things about doomsday theory, uh, right. like y'all shall repent for your sins. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's stuff not me. Like that. that's <laughs> wrong guy. Wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the final question of the show, yep. kind of the title question, it's how do you live uncontained? Uh, my goal has always been no neckties, no cubicles. Okay. Uh, that to me is the epitome of contain. I was never good at working for other people. Um, I have problems with authority. Uh, my girlfriend uh, is always yelling at me, like, "Can you just respect authority once?" I'm like, mm, "Nah." Uh, not, <laughs> Let me not think a- about it. Are you telling me to? <laughs> yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not. You know, I, I was raised by hippies, and uh, you know, I don't like to see uh, things done that I don't agree with, and I will not respect that if it's being done. So, but I mean, that I was never good at working for other people. So the way I stay uncontained is just by doing things that I enjoy, even if I'm not enjoying them particularly in the moment, uh, and uh, being my own creative boss. That's really it. I don't mind collaborating with other people, but I really, really enjoy creating something that I've done and putting it out to the world. All right. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. Thank you. <laughs> and, well, that does it. I want to thank you for thank you. joining me today. Yeah. And um, joining me for some coffee and some baby and showers some, next baby door. showers, yeah. Action. <laughs> I just have one more thing for you to do. I always have my uh, guests sign off the show. Sure. Phil, will you do me the honor of signing off? This is Phil Johnson, and I live uncontained. And that does it. That wraps up the show. Thanks to Phil Johnson for coming on and talking with me. Uh, Very interesting, dude. Very funny. And uh, if you get a chance, you should check him out live for sure. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please show a little love, rate, review, subscribe, share. You know the drill. And it helps other people find the show better, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And 
I just received a brand new wristband to try out, you know, like the Fitbit, the Garmin's and the other fitness trackers, except I've heard some really good things about this Hilo that I got shipped and I'm looking forward to trying it out alongside my Fitbit that I currently have. Um, it does, it keeps track of your mood, your energy, your steps, uh, sleep, uh, heart rate, and I've even heard like in the near future, it's supposed to keep away mosquitoes. It sounds like magical powers, but I've heard some really good things about this product. I'm looking forward to trying it out. So I will keep you informed on uh, how it measures up. So until next time, live uncontained. <laughs>